Welcome to Morning Commute. Should HER3 be considered a tumor agnostic target in breast and lung cancer? In this episode, Should HER3 be considered a tumor agnostic target in breast and lung cancer? Dr. Helena Yu and Dr. Joyce O'Shaughnessy discuss the widespread expression of HER3 across tumor types and why clinicians should have HER3 on their radar. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash her3agnostic1. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Yu is an Associate Attending Research Director of the Thoracic Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. Dr. O'Shaughnessy is a breast medical oncologist and the Celebrating Women's Chair and Breast Cancer Researcher at Baylor University Medical Center and is also Chair of the Breast Cancer Research Committee for Texas Oncology and the Sarah Cannon Research Institute in Dallas, Texas. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Yu will begin our discussion. Dr. O'Shaughnessy, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss HER3 as a potential target in both of our areas of expertise, lung cancer and breast cancer, respectively. First, let's set the stage and talk about our current standard of care and treatment options. Why don't you start with breast cancer? How do we treat metastatic disease? Well, good to be here with you, Dr. Yu. It's really fun to, to visit with you and learn together about, about HER3. It's good to have some cross metastatic site pollinization to learn from each other. You know, metastatic breast cancer is three main subtypes, hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, so-called HR positive, HER2 negative, triple negative, and HER2 amplified breast cancer. And with HER2 positive, for example, we basically stay with HER2 targeted agents um, from first line till, you know, oftentimes, you know, many, many lines of therapy. I think the thing that's new is we're bringing in new um, tyrosine kinase inhibitors that are non-cross-resistant with um, HER2-directed antibodies. And we're also bringing in antibody drug conjugates as really a very, very effective way to inhibit and kill HER2-positive breast cancer. Very, very active area of development. You know, in triple negative breast cancer, we still need to understand the biology better. uh, The uh, checkpoint inhibitors are beneficial for about 40% of first-line triple negative breast cancers. And also we have a couple of new antibody drug conjugates for triple negative breast cancer. We don't know how to sequence them yet. And then we have other cytotoxic therapies that also can impact survival favorably, but we, we need more targeted therapies for to understand the, the biology and the different subtypes of triple negative breast cancer is still a work in progress. Um, most of our patients that we see in our clinics that have metastatic disease have HR-positive HER2-negative breast cancer, and because that's by far the most common breast cancer. And we um, always start with a CDK4-6 inhibitor with endocrine therapy. And then the, the exact sequence after the progression on CDK4-6 depends on circulating tumor DNA and metastatic biopsy next-gen sequencing looking for specific mutations, such as the ESR1 mutation, estrogen receptor mutation, a mutation, an activated mutation in HER2 or in HER3, or 
activate mutations in PIK3CA, AKT, or loss of function P10. These are among the most common ones that we see, uh, although some of them are not very common. And we, we do try to go after these, these mutations, these driving mutations uh, in the cancer as sort of a next step. But we're also looking at, we're waiting for data of sequencing ADCs in a phase three study uh, prospectively. Then eventually we have to leave our um, endocrine therapies and our combination or single agent endocrine therapies, we have to go to cytotoxic agents. And here, very exciting, um, a couple of two new um, antibody drug conjugates are relatively new and um, more information coming out on a, on a third one that will likely be FDA approved um, in the uh, in 2024. So uh, the ADCs are making a big impact as well um, on HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer. So that's kind of an overview of um, kind of the evolving uh, treatment of these of these various metastatic breast cancer subtypes. And how about lung cancer? Is it you guys have as many um, subtypes as we as we do? We do. But first, before I go into lung cancer, what would you say is the biggest unmet need? Um, within metastatic breast cancer, if you had to say one? Well, you know, I am going to focus on HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer be simply because it's the, the most common. I mean, we have the fewest effective therapies in triple negative breast cancer, so that's huge. But, you know, the, um, I'm going to focus on liver metastasis in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer because almost all of our patients with HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer metastasize to the liver. They lose the drive through the estrogen receptor, and they can upregulate um, other nuclear steroid hormone receptors. Then they transcribe the HER family, and they go to the liver. And we don't understand a lot about the biology of breast cancer in the liver, but um, we need a lot more focus on that. We have to um, intercept that. We have to intercept it and, and try to prevent it for as long as we possibly can, because that is the terminal event of most patients with HR positive her true negative breast cancer, thus most of the patients that we lose. Yeah, and there's there's definitely parallels in lung cancer as well. When we get those visceral metastases, I think um, outcomes are definitely worse. And so for lung cancer, I mean, we really have come a long way in the last 10 years. Um, you know, the first thing when somebody's diagnosed with metastatic lung cancer is doing that next generation sequencing, the molecular testing to look for um, driver mutations. Um, and so, you know, if somebody has a driver mutation, which is about 30% or so will have a driver mutation that leads to an appropriate first line targeted therapy, then that would of course be the standard of care. So for example, for sensitizing EGFR mutations like EGFR L858R and exon 19 deletions, we would give a targeted therapy, a tyrosine kinase inhibitor like osimertinib. Um, and so um, we have similar approved targeted therapies for the other driver mutations as well. If someone doesn't have a driver mutation in lung cancer, then we look at PDL1 expression um, on the tumor cells. And so um, we really kind of, my dividing point is are they PDL1 high expressors, so greater than 50% versus PDL1 low, which is zero to 49. Um, and if they're PDL1 high, I think most of us would consider giving a single agent immunotherapy like pembrolizumab um, in that setting. And then, um, you know, for PDL1 low or zero, we would do a combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Um, and so that is sort of the general overview or scaffold of how treatment 
it, you know, is determined, although of course there are case by case basis, uh, you know, changes in treatment. Um, you know, the thing with targeted therapy, so taking EGFR mutant lung cancer, which is really going to be relevant when we talk about HER3-directed therapies, um, is that all patients will ultimately develop resistance um, to those different targeted therapies. So at that point, um, you know, we need to biopsy the patients. You, you mentioned sort of tumor tissue biopsies, liquid biopsies. We do those very regularly in lung cancer. Um, and we look for potential acquired alterations that might be mediating resistance. Um, so we look for on-target mutations like acquired EGFR alterations. We look for off-target mutations like MET amplification, KRAS mutations, acquired fusions. Um, and then interestingly, we also see something called histologic transformation where um, these cancers, which are primarily adenocarcinomas, can transform histologically to either squamous cell or small cell lung cancer. Um, and that is a, you know, a really uh, hard area to manage and there's a lot of um, research effort going into that. Um, but yeah, so it's mutation testing, PDL1 expression, and then sequencing. I think you mentioned that as well in terms of there are new therapies and new combinations that are coming out and understanding cross resistance and which ones are better to start with and and which ones are you know, effective after initial therapy, that really is key. And you know, we have cytotoxic um, therapies, which are mostly platinum-based chemotherapies. Um, but after that first chemotherapy, you know, salvage chemotherapies in the second and third line setting are really not very active. And so that is also a space where we're really excited about antibody drug can conjugates. Um, we have one antibody drug conjugate approved for lung cancer. Um, trastuzumab derexican, which I know is also approved in breast cancer, and that's only for HER2 mutant uh, lung cancers, but we don't have any um, kind of widespread approvals for ADCs, but there are a lot of different ADCs targeting trope 2 and HER3 and MET um, that are in clinical development. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's become such an incredibly active space, lung, lung cancer, and the, the molecular evolution of these cancers is just critically important, the diagnostics leading the way for us to really, the therapeutics are following the, um, the diagnostics. So it's really, really good to, um, good to hear. And I know survival has been substantially improved, which is the most important thing, of course. Absolutely. So maybe we'll, maybe I will segue our conversation and talk a little bit about HER3 in general, and then we can talk about its relevance in both breast and lung cancer. So, um, you know, HER3 is probably um, a lesser known protein and gene um, that is involved in oncogenesis. Um, HER3 is part of the HER family or the ERBB family, which also includes EGFR and HER2, which are both relevant in breast uh, and lung cancer. So um, we don't tend to see uh, mutations in HER3 um, as um, driver mutations, but we know that HER3 heterodimerizes with HER2, uh, as well as EGFR, and that um, kind of heterodimerization leads to downstream signaling that certainly um, is active uh, in both breast cancer, lung cancer, and other solid tumors. Um, you know, I think that we know um, that solid tumors that express HER3 expression um, or that express HER3 um, tend to have worse outcomes, um, so shorter response to therapy, as well as um, shorter all, overall uh, survival. So figuring out how to kind of um, 
target uh, therapeutically um, this um, protein um, is really important. So how is HER3 involved in breast cancer? It's really pretty ubiquitous with regard to remodeling of the cancer and mechanisms of resistance. I'll give you the example of um, HR positive HER2 negative um, first, which is you know, driven generally by the estrogen receptor initially, and it it's requires the ligand. It requires estradiol, at least initially, because it can mutate and become, doesn't need the ligand anymore. But so we, we, um, we take the ligand away. We use aromatase inhibitors, of course, to lower um, estradiol levels. And so we take away that ligand. And it turns out that PIK3CA mutant breast cancers, which is about 40% of ER positive HER2 negative breast cancers, they elaborate new regulin, which is the ligand for HER3, changes the conformation, and then it can then heterodimerize with mostly in breast cancer HER2. However, it can also heterodimerize with IGF1R, with the insulin receptor itself, and, and um, it's promiscuous. But generally, in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancers, you have the HER family upregulated when um, they need another ligand to bind to when the estradiol is gone, new regulin. And then the HER3 and the HER2, they signal down together through the PI3 kinase pathway. So it's a clever way. You've got a PIK3CA mutation. You, they just need some upstream you know, push to um, get going. And then you, know, they really, you really have a very resistant cell because activation of that pathway leads to resistance to basically every single therapy we have. So HER3 is a really key driver in that. Um, and that's corroborated by patients that have had a lot of endocrine therapy, particularly aromatase inhibitors. Um, they pick up a whole bunch of mutations because the Apovex signature, um, that mutational signature drives clonal evolution in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer. And we see the emergence of HER3 activating mutations, just like we see emergence of HER2 activating mutations. So we know HER3 is really biologically very important. Um, in HER2-positive breast cancer, um, the HER2-HER3 heterodimer actually is the key driving um, entity, moiety, in HER2-amplified breast cancer. We think of HER2-HER2 um, homodimers as driving the um, breast cancer, but actually neuregulin-driven HER2-amplified breast cancer utilizes HER3. So that's a very, very key driver, hence our use of pertuzumab, which binds to the heterodimerization domain of HER2 and stops the heterodimerization between HER2 and HER3. Critically, critically um, important. There are many, many such um, examples in breast cancer. It's just, it's pretty ubiquitous in the remodeling that goes on when cancer cells need to divide. HER3 gets upregulated. It'll bind to a lot of different things that are there and um, drive down through that PI3 kinase pathway, which is what will keep the cancer cell alive. Now, neuregulin is very important in that. That, that ligand is very, very important in, the, in that biology. Um, so how does it, where do you see it most, um, Dr. Yu, in non-small cell or even small cell lung cancer? Yeah, one thing when you, when you said um, neuregulin, that, that's interesting. The NRG1 uh, gene, um, there are fusions in that. Um, which is the gene that sort of uh, creates that neuregulin and heregulin. Um, and we see energy one fusions in lung cancer, super rare, um, but those also seem to be 
um, uh, sensitive to HER3-directed therapy. So we don't actually see very many mutations in HER3. We see actually increased ex expression, but that's sort of the one instance where HER3 is a direct driver. Um, in terms, uh, similar kind of parallels to breast cancer where, um, you know, when we think about targeted therapy, um, we also have APAVEC as, uh, as a means of um, mutagenesis with these different targeted therapies um, like hormone therapy and breast cancer. And we definitely see upregulation of HER3 in the resistant setting. So there are paired biopsies of patients um, before and after um, uh, EGFR-directed therapy, for example, in EGFR-mutant lung cancer. And we really see pretty significant upregulation of, of HER3 expression. So also very much um, involved in resistance to targeted therapy. And it really does seem like all roads uh, lead back to HER3. Um, is HER3 expression something or mutation something that is uh, tested for in breast cancer? How do we, how do we look for these mutations or um, expression increases? Uh, so in, um, in breast cancer, we do not do HER3 IHC uh, at this time. It's not at all clear that the level of HER3 expression by immunochemistry actually predicts for benefit from HER3-directed therapies. That's not clear in breast cancer um, at all. And actually targeting HER3 uh, is effective in all the three subtypes of breast cancer, triple negative, HER2 amplified, and HR positive, HER2 negative. So we do not currently test for it. I did want to pick up on your point about HER3 upregulation. You know, historically, anti-HER3 antibodies were very, very difficult. It was very difficult to get a clean anti-HER3 antibody because of the um, uh, similarity between the HER family members. But now we do have good antibodies and we can make antibody drug conjugates against um, HER3. But there are historical studies, you know, for example, in ovarian cancer where um, pertuzumab was being evaluated and you could get some upregulation over expression, not amplification, but upregulation of HER2. And pertuzumab was working against the HER2, HER3 heterodimer. But interestingly, you don't, you didn't see much in the way of HER3 um, overexpression or upregulation. But you know, you can see, you know, increased expression and production of new regulin, HER regulin, ligand for HER3, but not necessarily. Um, increased expression of HER3. So it's not really clear that we have to have a certain threshold of HER3 expression. And it would be awesome if we can find clinical phenotypes, you know, for example, progression on CDK46 inhibitors plus an aromatase inhibitor. And we can just show that that particular clinical phenotype you know, that HER3 activity and activation of the PI3 kinase pathway is a clinical scenario likely to benefit from um, uh, anti-HER3-directed therapies, for example. So, you know, for example, that's true actually as well in HER2-positive overexpression outside of the amplified patients. As we know, HER2-low is a, is a new, very important target for us. But as as we know, whether it's one plus or whether it's two plus, the antibody drug conjugate you mentioned, trastuzumab drexican, works equally well, whether it's two plus or one plus, and you can have one plus in 10% of cells, you can have one plus in 70% of cells, that doesn't seem to matter either. And we're waiting on data about whether trastuzumab drexican 
uh, additional data, I should say, works even in the HER2 ultra lows or even zeros, ultra low being one to 9% of cells positive for HER2 expression. You know, these, these agents are not working alone. HER2, you can have a small amount of, of um, overexpression, but it'll be heterodimerizing with um, HER3 or even HER1 or other uh, receptor tyrosine kinases um, as well. So we're not looking for it yet. Um, it is being looked at in the clinical trials. The level of expression is being looked at in clinical trials with regard to trying to figure out, is there a threshold? Does it work at very, very low levels? Does it work better at high levels, um, et cetera? But historically, the level of HER3 expression really did not predict for the activity of neuregulin binding to HER3 and letting it heterodimerize mainly with um, HER2. It, the level of expression did, didn't really matter in terms of that, that activity. Of course, it was in the context of older antibodies that were not, not very uh, specific for um, HER3. Um, but it's, it, we're still in a discovery process, I would say. We're still in a discovery process, as we are with HER2 yeah. upregulation, which is also a very, very critical um, driver of resistance, we're, we're finding out. How about in uh, lung cancer, uh, Dr. Yu? Yeah, absolutely. I think your point was uh, super interesting about, you know, with these antibody drug conjugates, which are so effective, um, that really you might need very little of the cell surface protein on the cancer cell for that drug to be uh, effective. Um, and so I think um, we're seeing similar data in lung cancer where, you know, because most of the cancers, in particular EGFR mutant lung cancers, express some degree of HER3, we're actually not seeing at all any um, kind of correlation between degree of HER3 expression and a degree of response to these HER3-directed therapies. Um, and I really like your point about kind of clinical subgroups um, rather than looking at HER3 expression as a potential biomarker for these therapies. And so, you know, the initial clinical kind of investigation of these HER3 ADCs has been primarily in EGFR mutant lung cancer. Um, and we know, again, that HER3 is important in those, in those cancers. And so using that as the biomarker rather than requiring testing of HER3 expression, I think is a really smart way to kind of select for people who are more likely to benefit, but not using that kind of biomarker. I think, it, you know, for lung cancer, it's going to be a big switch. We've really convinced providers uh, on the utility of next generation sequencing and looking for genomic alterations um, that drive um, treatment decisions and availability of different targeted therapies. But um, with these different ADCs, I suspect we're now going to be maybe, you know, bringing in protein expression and IHC to some degree um, because some of these ADCs, you know, do require some degree of identifiable expression, like some of the trope two or um, met uh, EDCs. And so it's really interesting. And I think maybe to kind of conclude, um, Dr. O'Shaughnessy, why, why do we want clinicians, so without this being uh, relevant now, but why, why should the sort of clinicians be on the lookout um, and care about sort of HER3 in breast cancer? I, I think it's because it really is such a key mechanism of resistance to our therapies. It really creates mesenchymal biology sailing down through PI3 kinase, you know, very invasive metastatic uh, biology. I think it really drives when our patients go from bone only to the liver. I think it's being driven by the HER family. Um, 
these, these breast cancers, for example, will lose their estrogen receptor. Guess what's there instead? Androgen receptor. And that leads to the transcription of the um, her family. And then the, the, um, the ligands are in the liver. The ligands are in the liver for these, um, her family, her three, for example, the neuregulin. And um, the, the cancer is metastasized to the liver. So we, we need some ways to intercept that early on. But I think we're going to find that targeting HER3, even in more heavily pretreated patients that are not responding well to our therapies, will help, I hope, reset some sensitivity for the patients. But I think it's just a key driver of resistance in breast cancer that's going to drive the interest. You know, we don't, we're, we're very siloed often in our academic practices where we don't get to see the sort of similarities and, and trends across solid tumors. So it's honestly been very enlightening for myself to kind of hear about parallels between breast and lung cancer, which of course are common cancers that are big uh, killers of patients. And so um, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm looking forward to um, discussing HER3 as a target in breast and lung cancer uh, further with you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for leading a lovely discussion. Thank you. Remember, to receive your credit and evaluate this program, please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash her3agnostic1. You can find all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming service or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.